Is man just another animal? Are we no different from other beings in terms of our value? Or are we special in the world? Do we have a special status? Obviously we are different. Uh, We have higher intellectual capacities. But we could take this egalitarian approach and claim that we have no higher moral status than other beings. You might even want to say that uh, we're uniquely harmful. Uh, We're uniquely uh, capable of upsetting the balance in nature. And that other species have been here longer than we have. Because there are certain powerful environmental movements that are seeking to restrain human development uh, in order to protect the life-sustaining systems of the planet. Movements such as those against population growth. Uh, The population bomb claiming that we're going to reach a point that sees the population of the earth of humans grow so large that we're no longer able to sustain life on the planet. Uh, Climate change, we're being told that our practices uh, in terms of our industry and um, production are not sustainable. So, obviously, this question, is man another animal, can be quickly dismissed by claiming, yes, obviously we're different than birds or sheep, cattle. You know, we we have a more advanced language. Uh, We walk on, we walk upright. Uh, We have an opposable thumb. Obviously, these are superficial differences, but the question really is do we have a special value? Okay, so there have been great thinkers like Aristotle or Aquinas or Kant uh, and also great religious traditions like Christianity and Judaism that give a privileged place to humanity. Think of the book of Genesis. Think of how we're told there that God created the various species and the various animals. But with respect to us, we were created in the image of God. Okay, so just like God is above nature, God is above nature insofar as God created nature. Human beings partake in the divine transcendence. Uh, And then you see in the New Testament, 
Jesus says that God is bothered by uh, a sparrow being harmed. So even more is God bothered by the hair on a head of a human being, no matter how trivial it may seem. So Aristotle and Aquinas thought that nature is made for man. And by man, I mean both sexes, of course, male and female. Uh, nature is made for man because man is uniquely a rational animal. So we share in the species of animality. We have many similar biological traits built in broadly similar ways, similar organs, to varying degrees, of course. You know, we're not that similar to a bug, but more similar to like a dog. But we have this capacity for rationality, which Aristotle thinks distinguishes us. So uh, this ability to reason, to come up with new solutions to our problems, to manipulate our environment and, and use it as a tool to make our lives more convenient and to develop a philosophical approach where we don't just uh, follow our instincts but develop ideologies and worldviews in which we create guidelines for our conduct. So we have a moral philosophy, we ask questions about how to properly treat one another and these are questions that a dog could never formulate or any other of the even so-called higher animals. Okay, so this question is being debunked uh, by certain contemporary biologists who think that, you know, of course, we are a different species than dog or a cow or a rat, etc., etc. Uh, and they may acknowledge that we, of course, we have higher intellectual capacities. Uh, a monkey could not write a Shakespearean drama, nor even understand it. But contemporary biology in this current century has a dogma that man is not special. Okay, um, we don't have some special role in creation as participating in this divine transcendence. That somehow we're kings of creation. We have special responsibilities to care for it. No, actually, it's all egalitarian. Everything has basically the same value. So from an ant to a bug to a human being. Um, contemporary bi biology is telling us that we all have the same value. Now, I don't know how science, an empirical discipline, 
can give us a basis for value. So the fact that biology collects facts, how can they transition from this collection of facts into this establishment of value? That would be a philosophical view and they're transitioning away from their discipline of just gathering and systematizing facts. Um, but, you know, they're taking these, these views. It's a philosophical view, not within their area of expertise. But they're saying that no species is superior to another. Uh, and there are no criteria to compare the species in terms of value. So we can't say that, like, the purpose of creation is to serve this special being or nature is ordered for the well-being of man. Actually, things are basically on a par, all right? Um, and maybe they're just removing value from the way we see the world, uh, removing dignity, these concepts, and just taking a very pure, purely atheistic materialistic viewpoint where um, there really is no such, such thing as value and everything is basically uh, equal and on I'll say, the same level in terms of their worth because it's all just material. It's all just matter differently configured, differently endowed with higher or lower capacities, depending upon what you're talking about. It's all basically the same. All right, so uh, another dogma of this contemporary biology slash philosophy is that evolution does not have a direction, meaning it's not this linear progress from lesser and less advanced to greater and more advanced species. It's just the circuitous path uh, and really there's no up or down, there's no direction in terms of greater and greater progress. It's just uh, this circuitous and directionless movement according to these blind material factors. All right, so uh, this is the atheistic materialism of the 21st century. Uh, there is no God to create a hierarchy so if God's the creator he can he can assign a certain hierarchy in his creation if you remove God then you just have matter and then if you just have matter you can say well this idea of value this idea of moral privilege uh, is an illusion and we just have matter um, taking on different forms uh, competing for resources and eventually dying out. All right, so um, as I said, humanity uh, has higher intellectual capacities, but this even makes it more of a threat. So we have the capacity because of our intellect to destroy the environment in which we live. Okay. So the thing is that this is a new uh, perspective, this value-free Everything is equal, and this, you know, this has implications for 
our policies. Um, if we're no better than a tree or an animal, if we have this biocentric approach, or even this non-centric approach, neither anthrop- anthropocentric nor biocentric, it's just egalitarian, that affects our policy. And we might engage in certain practices that if you have this value-rich worldview, you would find very objectionable. If, for instance, the idea that we should control the population by sterilizing people or imposing draconian governmental restrictions such that they can only have one child, let's say, the, the one-child policy of, of China. Right? If, if human beings are not special, then it seems okay to just limit our growth if that's what it takes to not interfere with the planetary, planetary systems. All right, but even the atheists of the 20th century did not think this way. They recognized that even though there is no God to structure a certain hierarchy and appoint as a special creation with a special role, humanity as the king of creation, just purely as a matter of biological fact, human beings are higher and special in relation to the animal kingdom. This was the, the, the viewpoint of the 20th century biologist. And they recognized that culture had gone beyond evolution. Right? So we, we are progressing in culture, in our technology, in our arts, in our philosophical speculation in our scientific investigations. We were advancing, we are advancing in these ways that go beyond what can be produced through evolution, right? So just evolution might be able to produce certain adaptations, certain advantages in terms of our ability to to compete in the environment, but um, it can't produce these cultural developments such as great works of art or great cathedrals Um, Shakespearean drama, um, the great philosophers of the world, um, technology allowing us to communicate across the planet in instance. Uh, So we have this great Christian thinker, G.K. Chesterton, a wonderful writer, who says that if we stop to look, if we stop reading books, getting lost in these theories, and just look around us, compare the squirrel digging in the trash can to a human being or some other animal, we'll be surprised at how different we are, how how drastically different we are from other animals. So, Justin said that when human beings came into existence, there was not an evolution, there was a revolution. So a fundamental rift between human beings and animals. Okay, in our religious capacities, okay, do animals worship a divine being? Do they have rituals? I mean, we don't really know. 
um, but it seems like they have just um, a simple life of securing their bodily needs and just um, kind of following uh, their drives. And they have a set of drives that are uh, to reproduce and to eat and to sleep. But these are distinct from any kind of higher cultural or religious capacities. All right, so uh, the view that I'm discussing is anthropocentrism, which is the idea that man is at the center. Man has a certain privilege in terms of the rest of the world and the non-human environment. Okay? And the value of these non-human things is not intrinsic, but instrumental. Okay, meaning the value of a tree or of a, an animal is only in relation to how it can be used by us. And it lacks an intrinsic value independent of the way we uh, use it. Okay, so um, it's not like we have to show respect to the non-human environment in a way that suppresses our own interests. Okay, whereas human beings have an intrinsic value. Um, I can't um, remove a group of people from their homes the way I can cut down a part of a forest for the use of human beings. I can't co-opt certain human beings for service in some labor or project of mine without their consent, without paying them in a way that I can co-opt a donkey or a horse. All right, so um, some people say that as anthropocentric thinkers, uh, we do care about the environment, but only because a bad environment threatens us. All right, so cruelty to animals is bad because it hurts us, not because of some damage done to the animal. Not as though the animal has some kind of intrinsic dignity that forces us to respect it in ways that are independent of our own uh, needs and desires. Okay? So this, this idea of anthropocentrism has undergone a severe critique in recent decades in the intellectual domain. Um, the Judeo-Christian view has been accused of uh, encouraging exploitation of the environment. Because since we are special, why can't we just use the environment however we see fit? All right, so we're encouraged by, to over-exploit nature. Um, and certain scientists and philosophers are calling us to reorient the way we think, specifically 
these figures, uh, Paul and Anne Ehrlich, who are saying that our population is growing so fast that it threatens the very structure of life on Earth. Uh, this is a human chauvinism that we think that we're better and special so we can procreate at this exorbitant rate and in so doing harm the rest of the planet. All right, so I, I kind of disagree that just because we think that we're privileged, it therefore follows that we can be totally wanton in the way we destroy uh, the environment. Um, we can see ourselves as above the non-human sphere, uh, so we can eat we can eat animals. We don't have to um, show this deference uh, that prevents us from eating them and exploiting them in that manner. But we also can't just be wanton and random and just destroy a, a, a forest because we want to. Uh, we need to have some kind of reasonable use uh, for it, and um, so we don't have to treat it like a human being. We don't have to like ask permission to um, cut down a forest. We can't ask a tree whether they are willing to be cut down or not. We are going to um, uh, be restrained and reasonable in our approach to the environment. And that does not mean that we have to give up anthropocentrism. All right, so I think there's a, a moderate approach to anthropocentrism, which does not mean that you can just be wanton and unreasonable because the non-human environment is just your playground to do whatever you want with. Torture animals uh, because they're lesser than you are. No, I don't agree with that. I don't agree that it's wrong simply because it hurts us either. Um, there is a certain respect owed to animals, although we can use them in ways that we couldn't use a human being. Right? And so, also, if an animal is threatening us, we have the right to kill it. All right? So, if we have an infestation of mice or bugs or other kind of pests in our home, we don't have to, like, you know, restrain ourselves because they have equal value to us. Okay, so there's uh, a vigorous discourse about these ideas uh, in philosophy and also law, where some people are saying that, for instance, a tree should have standing to sue, uh, should have legal standing, just like a corporation. All right, so a tree should be able to uh, press charges. Of course, a tree itself could not do it, but someone could say that a tree has rights and someone who has deforested a certain area has violated some legal right. All right, so how are we special? Well, we are in all ecosystems. So we have been able to populate the earth. We've been fruitful and have multiplied and we have occupied all ecosystems. All right, so we're in, we're in the ocean. We have gone to space. We have been in the forest. We've been in the plains. We've been in the deserts. Uh, we're able to occupy all ecosystems where certain other animals are limited to their niche. Okay, uh, we have changed the face of the earth. So we have built cities. We have, we have cut down forests. We have Made our made our own rivers. Uh, we have, you know, of course, a beaver can make a small dam, but I'm talking about large scale 
uh, visible change on the surface of the earth. Human beings have done that. We have caused the extinction of other species. Other species have gone extinct because of our activity. This is unique among the animal kingdom. Other animals just kind of preserve the balance. We have the ability to make other beings go extinct. And in fact, we have the ability now with nuclear weapons to make the entire globe go extinct. We change the composition of the atmosphere. Uh, through the Industrial Revolution, we have changed the way the atmosphere is composed. Uh, and we act according to a moral philosophy. So we don't just behave instinctually, behave according to this set of pre-programmed um, drives. We have the ability to think and to judge and develop a moral philosophy based upon our inquiries into um, what right and wrong are. Okay, so there was a critical point in evolution uh, where there was just a fundamental change. Uh, the author that I'm drawing from, Manuel Afonseca, is a Spanish thinker and writer. He says that there was a change akin to the change from a solid to a liquid or liquid to a gas, a change in state. But could there be more a more substantial change, a change in substance, not just in state? So water is still water, even when it changes from ice to liquid or liquid to gas, um, to steam. But could the change from animals to man be so drastic that it's a, it's a substance uh, change, a change in substance? All right. So um, another consideration. So was there a revolution or an evolution? I think that there's a case to be made for a, a revolution and you, you might want to bring in a spiritual component where humanity uniquely has a soul, an immortal soul that um, can live forever, is of a separate substance than matter and is differentiated therefore substantively from other animals. All right, so it's not just that we have heightened material capacities, but that we have a spiritual component uh, that is sub substantively different than anything that an, an animal might have. All right. So we might we might say, along with Kant, that we are the only free species. Uh, we are a species that has the ability to uh, self-determine its own course through life and not just have this predetermined set of reactions um, we're able to form our own uh, view of life and view of what the good life is and this makes us unique as well so just because you think that you are unique doesn't mean that you are this wantonly destructive person. All right, so this critique of the Judeo-Christian view is not necessarily charitable because you could say, yes, I am anthropocentric. I do believe that we are made in the image of God, but that does not mean that I think that we can just wantonly just destroy God's creation. In fact, I think that we have a heightened responsibility to be extremely sensitive to the rights of animals. Or, or at least 
if they don't have rights, at least their pleasure and pain and their well-being. Because we have a special role as stewards of God's creation. We're not, uh, we're called not to destroy and harm the creation because we're special. Right? So this Judeo-Christian belief in being made in the image of God is not inconsistent with, um, you know, this demand to care for our uh, fellow be- uh, fellow creatures. All right. So another point um, that we can go f- go from here is into um, transhumanism. This is a philosophy that comes from the idea that evolution is progressive, okay, that we are moving towards a higher uh, form of life. And so we're not, we have reached man, but we're going into the Superman, all right? And so the transhumanists think that we can become cyborgs and through our technology, add appendages to our physical bodies that enhance our powers and even overcome our own mortality. Okay, so Elon Musk with this microchip in the brain that can telepathically communicate. This is the new uh, transhumanism, which comes from this idea that evolution is progressive. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes to a good article. You can look, explore a very good blog. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. This is Daniel Del Monte signing out for CultureCast.